let's say you're making a big life transition. Are you sure you're as prepared as you can be? Pete thought he was. He got a job offer to start up in a new town, working part-time hours so he can ramp up his side hustle. And then this happened. And I start this job at the startup and I'm getting excited to do more things on the side and stuff like that. And then I get laid off. Two weeks later, three weeks later, I wasn't necessarily laid off. They just told me that we don't have any money and we can't pay you anymore. Sadly, him and his wife, with a baby in tow, had to figure out how to survive on zero income sources. It went on like this for three years. So how did him and his family survive? Most importantly, what did he learn throughout this transition into self-employment? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane. We have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic, is taboo. My guest is Pete McPherson, founder of doyouevenblog.com. We chat about the exact moment about why he decided to leave his CPA job and move away with his wife. Hint, hint, it involves passing off his child to his wife at a gas station. He also talks about why his plans to take on this new job totally failed and what were the unsexy things that he and his wife had to do to get back on track. Stick around to the end where I'm going to drill down into Pete's story to give you some practical lessons we can all learn from his story. All right, here's a little hint. He talked a lot about using his core values to guide his decisions. If that's something you're interested in exploring, well, today's your lucky day. I've created a values-based spending guide which can help you hone in on what you value the most and how to use them to kick butt in your financial life. To grab it, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. And to find resources shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co or click on the link in your podcast app. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Pete, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. So excited to have you on. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate it. What made you decide to quit your job initially? How did you decide you're going to move from the big city, like you said, with two salaries all the way to a smaller city with one salary? You actually did a really great job summing that up, first of all. <laughs> it's kudos to you, Sarah. <laughs> so the story is, I, I'll give you the, the extended context pretty quickly here. So I've been blogging on and off, podcasting on and off, doing creative things like this over the internet since about 2009. But I eventually, I would quit and I would restart and I would try different things. And I think I've done over 45 plus blogs and online businesses at some point. It was just kind of a hobby. So there's the the back context. When I was in corporate America, I did, quite frankly, like the quote unquote American dream. Like I was in accounting, I had my CPA license. I didn't really want to do this, by the way, like be an accountant, have a CPA. I just didn't know what else to do during college. I was just kind of funneled through life, so to speak, by my teachers and parents and counselors or whatnot. I didn't really want to be an accountant. I just thought, hey, I can get a job here, Uh, which was true, by the way, in 2009. So I'm in corporate America. I don't want to be there, but I don't really know what else to do. So I keep working and I keep working in public accounting. And then I got another job and Thought $7 billion hospital chain. It was a great job. I got paid a lot. I kept getting pay raises every year and kept getting promotions. And my wife and I bought a house and I had a nice car. And then we started having kids. And it was like textbook 1955 American dream. This is what life is about. And of course, as a lot of the people that probably listen to your show, Sarah, realizes that 
that's not necessarily the American dream for everybody. So sure enough, I I started looking for a way out. This was probably like 2013, 2014, still working full time as an accountant, but starting to do more side hustles, like trying to figure out a way out, so to speak. And it took me a good two to three years to kind of get comfortable, even just knowing what I'm doing, starting a side hustle, starting an online business, stuff like that. And at some point, I got fed up. This was probably like early 2016 at this point, something like that. And my wife and I had a chat and we were like, okay, what what do we do? We want to get out. She wasn't necessarily enjoying this either. She was a full-time piano and voice instructor and accompanist in Atlanta, Georgia, where we're from. What do we do? So I took this job at a small startup, which shall remain nameless for reasons you'll find out in just a minute. And they were going to pay me a little bit less than I was making as a CPA for sure, but still like a salary and still benefits and health insurance and like all that great stuff. But I only had to work part time, like 20, 30 hours a week. So in my head, I'm thinking uh, jackpot, (laughs) jackpot. I get to work half time. I still, you know, I don't make quite as much money, but it's fine. We have some reserves. We got some emergency funds. I can handle that. And this will allow me to do side hustles more. It'll allow me to focus more on starting another blog or starting a podcast again. I haven't done it in years now or, you know, continuing on side hustle path, yada, yada. So the we moved, by the way, we moved from Atlanta to my hometown, Rome, Georgia. I still love it here. We're still here three and a half years later. And at this point, we have one child. My wife is pregnant with child number two. We move all of our belongings. We put some stuff in a storage unit. We stay in my grandmother's house. She's not here. She's in a nursing home, but her house was relatively empty. So we moved in there temporarily. And I start this job at the startup and I'm getting excited to do more things on the side and stuff like that. And then I get laid off two weeks later, three weeks later. I wasn't necessarily laid off. They just told me that we don't have any money and we can't pay you anymore which is kind of like being laid off, I guess. So that is the long way (laughs) to answer your question. But those were all the events that led up to this. Oh, one more thing. My wife stopped working. Like She was going to be full-time, stay-at-home mom, maybe teach some piano lessons on the side, but she she quit her job. Jobs, plural, meaning there's one income. I take a pay cut to take the startup job and then get laid off. So that's the, the two incomes down to zero if you will. So there's the backstory. Okay. So what were the, can you give us a ballpark range of the salary that you made and your wife made? And then when you decided to take the startup that ended up not paying you, what was the salary for that one? Yeah. It was about 80K I was making before I moved back. And, you know, I don't actually, I remember our <laughs> like tax returns, like a AGI, gross income, adjusted gross income or whatnot. It was, it was right on like, a year-ish after some of those tax things. It was right around that area, which is really great for almost no matter where you live, but especially in Georgia and Atlanta. Cost of living is a little bit lower in Rome, where we moved. So I did take the pay cut of around, I want to say 40, I don't know exactly, between 40 and $50,000 a year. And to be fair, and this is going to kind of tease, I think, what you're going to be getting at in a second on the podcast. We did sell our house for like, it was a nice little like real estate flip, so to speak. Like we put a lot of effort into it. We sold it. We had a nice chunk of change to kind of put into a reserve to buy the next house or, you know, just to act as an emergency fund. We kind of had that combined with taking the salary cut in the mid 40s and 
my wife eventually trying to move into more freelancing stuff. That's how we were not freelancing, excuse me, just part-time piano teaching, really. So that's how we were kind of making the numbers work, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. So the assumption here is that you were going to make up for the the loss, so to speak, with your side hustle incomes, which at that point wasn't making a little bit of money for you? Zero dollars. Okay. <laughs> nope, absolutely nothing. So <laughs> All right. yeah, well, it was a lower cost of living. And again, we moved into my grandmother's house and we slashed down a bunch of our expenses. I got rid of my car. This is actually teasing ahead a little bit. I shouldn't say this yet. <laughs> we'll get into this in a second, <laughs> I think. But yeah, the lower cost of living and I didn't have any additional income coming in yet, but I knew that was going to be in the near future. I guess my big mix up here was not planning for the worst, i.e. I probably should have kept my accounting job until I did have a side hustle that was making a little bit of money. And I thought I was being pretty safe. I was like, oh, okay, startup. You know, it's a pay cut, but it's still a salary. There's still benefits. There's still health insurance. That's up there. And didn't really do my due diligence, so to speak, on <laughs> making that transition happen. So to answer your question, no, like zero income coming in whatsoever. <laughs> All right. So you're probably an optimist. Is that what you would describe yourself as? An optimist? Definitely not. Nope. Okay. I'm definitely a pessimist in all <laughs> aspects of life, probably. Except for this incident. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so before we move on, I'm really curious, what were these side hustles that you had started before you even quit your job? It's a good question. Mainly had to do with blogging, just because I've always found the idea of creating content on the internet and reaching people that aren't in your immediate vicinity. Like ever since a little kid and the internet first came out, like when email was you know, just starting to be a thing. Juno, I remember, by the way, for those of you old enough, <laughs> I was always interested in it. So most of my side hustles during that time were blogs. And to get really specific, or e-commerce, maybe some drop shipping sites I tried and was terrible at. I was like, oh, this, this is stupid. I'm not good at this. One was, let's see, a t-shirt business, selling t-shirts online. I think every decent, you know, online entrepreneur had a t-shirt business face. I ran a small service business for bloggers and e-commerce sites with a blog where I would kind of help them out with their content. I would do everything except write the content. I would do the research. I would come up with a bunch of ideas and send them like in a Google Doc. It was pretty fun. That one actually made a little bit of money. That was probably the one just before I quit my CPA job to move town. And most of the other ones were just blogs that were monetized through ads and affiliate marketing and some stuff like that. Awesome. So... Let's dive into the conversation or the series of conversations that you've had with your wife even before you decided to quit and move. Like, what was that like? Obviously, she agreed because you guys moved, but what, what was it like to, to have that conversation where I'm not happy? Let's think of another plan to basically enjoy what we do. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is that we were, we were kind of both on the same page. Even for several years before we pulled that trigger, we were both kind of on the same page. And it was spurred by, is that a word? Spurred? It was spurred on by a few different things living in Atlanta. Number one being the commute. That sounds like a little petty when I say it out loud on a podcast. But in reality, <laughs> we had a newborn son. And I can, I can distinctly remember commuting so much. And my wife would have to drive into the city from Ackworth, the suburb where we lived. It would take like 35 minutes on the best day and then up to an hour and 15 minutes on the worst day. And we our schedules like did not overlap. Like I would be coming home from work in the afternoon. I would leave at 5 a.m. By the way, that's one thing. That's one strike right there. And 
I can remember meeting her halfway, like literally texting back and forth and calling back and forth on my way home, on her way into the city and like just swapping our son. Like we meet at gas stations wherever we were. We we're trying to coordinate where we were on the highway in order for me to take over parenting. And then, you know, my wife wouldn't get back till later that evening, sometimes a lot of times after our son had gone to bed. And it was just it was a crazy lifestyle. And again, that's that's partially our fault. Like we chose to live outside of the city a little bit, but it was also not very realistic to buy a place in the city. And we didn't really know what to do. We could have moved closer to work, but that would have been just a crazy budget that we weren't quite prepared for. And we just bought this house, which was looking back, probably not the smartest decision, if I'm being completely honest. So it was just a series of choices. This is before I was in personal finance whatsoever, by the way, a series of choices combined with the fact that it was just a different style of living that neither of us wanted. So to answer your question, going back to the conversations leading up to it, it was actually fairly easy to choose to move back to Rome. My family is here. The style of living is slower. Like you see this in movies all the time in like rural Georgia or in the, in the deep south where things are like really slow. And the New Yorker like comes down out of a movie and it's like blown away by how slow things are. That's actually kind of true. So we both knew we wanted that lifestyle. The conversations leading up to the move is actually pretty straightforward. That's really interesting. And I and I love hearing this because so many people I know that do end up quitting their jobs or make a career switch. It's really that pivotal moment where like, I don't want to do this because it just somehow doesn't align with a value or something that I want. And that what you said about swapping your baby to gas station, that I mean that that to be honest, like set me chills. I'm like, I if it were me, I would probably be doing the same thing as you were, as I'm sure many, many parents mm. would be thinking the same thing. Totally. All right. So you've decided to move and you did and you took that pay cut, almost half, I would say. And then you said, gradually, they basically said, there's no work for you or we have no money. So that was over a period of a couple of weeks. Was that correct? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so the next transition... Right. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You asked the question. Oh, no, no, I was go, getting excited to tell I was story. say. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, like, tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. That was a little weird period. That was a little weird period. So this is like takeaway number one, I think, for the audience. Actually, there's two takeaways I mentioned already. Number one would be, I would never wish this upon anybody. And this would, I would never suggest this. If I had to do things over again, I would, even like what I'm doing today, I'm very happy with where I'm at today. I would still not do it over again. This is not the way to do it. You know, if you're going to like transition to full-time freelancing or full-time side hustle or whatever that is, that's great. Do it. Make that sustainable before you quit your job. That's big takeaway. Number one, I have to preface saying that my path is not what I would recommend to anybody. That's number one. Number two, we also kind of touched on a little bit. The only way that little time period would ever have worked is due to a few lucky circumstances. I'm going to lay out. Number one, we did have a little bit of cash saved up. We sold our house. We had an emergency fund anyways. It wasn't enough, but we had one, thankfully. And so we were able to survive, like literally put gas in our vehicle to drive to and from, like trying to figure out work and food on the table for our kids and like the, the lights on. And we were able to survive due to that. If we didn't have that, like no emergency fund, it would have been another chaotic mess of, okay, where can I find a job today? Like I need to find a job ASAP, whether it's in Atlanta or New York, or Chicago or Miami, like probably a big city. It would have been another crazy mess. But luckily we had the emergency fund. We didn't have to do that. So I think that's like huge takeaway number two from my personal story here is like 
I can't even like comprehend how important that is for our life now, for our life then, for everybody else listening who ever wants to transition to a full-time job, have some, have a safety net, have a safety net. There you go. So back to when that happened, there was a period of like two and a half weeks, three weeks that were a little chaotic, but literally nothing was going on. Like the only chaotic part was this decision that we had to make, right? Like we could move our family again. Like we just moved, but we could, you know, (laughs) half our stuff was still in boxes. We just throw it back in the car and move back to Atlanta or some other big city where I could find a job. That's like option one. And option two, I was, my wife and I sat down and I was like, I could, I could try and have a go at this, this meaning full-time entrepreneurship, full-time side hustle, full hustle, whatever you want to call that. I could have a go at it. And we kind of talked it through and we kind of looked at more specifically how we could make that work. I'm actually talking about budgeting at this point. Like we had to look at every subscription we were paying for, Spotify, Netflix, any of that stuff. We had to look at, oh, at this point, I still had my car and still had about two or $3,000 left on our car payment. And I was like, well, that's out. That's got to go. <laughs> got to get a different car. And we're wondering, okay, where can we live? Like, can we live in my grandmother's house? Like, will she actually be willing to let us stay here longer while we figure this stuff out? We did like this massive audit of our entire life and where our money is, where our money goes. And at the end of that, it was surprisingly hopeful. It was doable. It was doable. It wasn't like we're literally going to starve to death. It was doable. Was it hard? Yes. Looking back, I can tell you all of this past three years has actually been very hard. But at that point, like this decision-making period, we kind of came to the conclusion. It's like, okay, this is actually doable. Let's let's give it a shot, if that makes sense. Yes. So I know you said you had zero active income sources you had your emergency fund you had the the money that you you had after selling your home was that the only thing that was sustaining you for the 3 years or was there or you know obviously you you grew your blog to making income now like was that like mm. was that part of that income stream coming in for the last 3 years right so i did start off actually not by blogging i tried to start try is a very key word there i tried to start a local marketing company, mainly just building websites and doing a little bit of digital marketing here and there. And long story short, I hated it. I actually felt like more of an employee than I did at my old CPA job. But I I did make a little bit of money. Like in the first couple of months, I made like a couple of thousand dollars. It was tough work. I did not like it whatsoever. And I, I knew I wanted to transition out, but there was like another little small cushion for like a couple of months. Okay. A little bit, a little bit of money there. And at that point, I decided, mm, okay, I had this in my head. I, I'm going to be a developer, or at least I'm going to have that skill set to fall back on as well. Like literally coding stuff, apps, websites, JavaScript, Xcode. Like I decided, you know, I could do this. I'm really good at this. I know a little bit of coding already. I could probably go to one of these boot camps and I would be done in like eight weeks or 12 weeks or something like that. And then I would be relatively employable from anywhere. Like uh, we could go the digital nomad route. I could work at home, that sort of stuff. But while I was starting this, I knew I was like, mm, I want to try a blog. I want to do something. This is what I care about. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. And to answer your question, what ended up happening is I reached out to a few people, personal finance bloggers that I already knew from years back when I had a personal finance blog for a hot minute. It was pretty bad, <laughs> but I made some connections there. I reached out to these people and I asked them, hey, can't I need to learn how to make money and I need to learn like today. <laughs> Could you just hop on a Skype call with me or can we just have a phone call or something? And can I just ask you some questions? And 
literally everybody I said that to, there was like five people. They were like, yeah, yeah, of course. Sure. Like, let's, let's meet up. So I did these and I asked permission to record them. And I got done with the first one and I was like, oh my gosh, that was so helpful. Like, I loved doing that. And I got done with the second one and the same thing. I was like, oh, that was so much fun. And by the third one, I'm like, I think they actually call this podcasting. So that was the birth of the Do You Even Blog podcast. Just me reaching out to other bloggers and trying to figure out like, okay, I need to make money pretty soon. I need to start earning. How can I do that? How can I be better at that? I've tried different things in the past. Like, what can I do differently now? And I just love that process so much. I was like, oh, well, maybe this is it. And I made $50, actually 51, $51 my first month. I was just determined to monetize, by the way. That's all that was. <laughs> Any brilliant. I was literally like emailing bloggers like, hey, please sponsor me. I don't have any audience. I don't have any downloads whatsoever, but I will pay you back in the future. I promise. It was like full on hustle mode. I'm not that sort of hard worker normally, but this was like do or die time, right? So I reached out. I got a sponsorship for $50 and then another one for $1. That's a story for another day. $51 in my first month. And the second month, I was like, okay, a little bit better. I got to start earning money. $100. And then the next month, there was, I don't know, maybe $100 again. And at this point, I had like a couple of hundred people following me, email subscribers, whatever. I decided like, I got to start launching products else I got to go back to accounting. And so I think I did fairly well. I made like, I don't know, $2,500 or something like that from, or no, it was like $1,700, I believe, from this little miniature product that I created like four months in. So the timeline, just to keep everybody on the same page, lest I lose anybody here. This is about seven months after I got the news that I would not be receiving any more paychecks. Seven or eight months later at this point, I definitely did some hustle work in my hometown. I got some marketing clients, which really just means I built their WordPress websites for a couple thousand bucks over the first two, three months. And then you know we're sustaining ourselves on the, the emergency fund, so to speak, my family and I. And then four months into do even blog, I start making a little bit of money there. And it wasn't, you know, a straight linear line of revenue trending upwards. Like I didn't continue to make that, but there were little bumps along the way that just kept it more sustainable, if that makes sense. Oh, and I left out one huge part. I'm sorry. This is actually huge. Freelancing. I didn't want to be a freelancer. I still don't like freelancing to this day, but I knew like if I wanted to generate income, freelancing is going to be a heck of a lot easier and quicker, all things considered, than building up my own business or whatever. So I did start reaching out to freelance clients oh, right about the time I started the podcast, actually. And I ended up getting one or two, just small time stuff, just a couple hundred bucks a month at that point. But it was, again, it was just enough to like make this sustainable. And long story short, that's actually kind of how it's grown every month, just a little bit, just a little bit for the past two, three years, where now it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit less stress. And hopefully <laughs> a year from now, it'll be much less stressful than it is now, et cetera. So still kind of living in the hard part. I hope I answered your question in there, Sarah. It was a little rambly. No, you did. Thank you for all of that. There's a lot of people, not going to name names because it, no ill will against them. This is something I, I think I'm starting to fall into a, a teeny tiny bit, I'll be honest, is that when we talk about businesses or creating businesses, a lot of them are like, oh, create value for other people and make sure you're doing something that lights you up or follow your passions. But it's okay in the beginning to just worry about cash flow. And what your story or what you said anyways, is that 
you're in survival mode. You need that cash flow. You need to make this work. Obviously, you were doing good work. I'm not saying don't do good work. That's not at all what I'm saying. But but you were in your mind, you were like, and I'm putting words in your mouth, I apologize. But you're like, in your mind, like, you know what? I just need to make money. I need to make sure that this is sustainable. If not, I, w- I will go back to a job. And I think when I first started, it was the same thing. We're like, I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself six months full on hustle. If this does not work, I'm not getting any cash flow. I will be going back to a job as well. And I think it's it's okay to be honest about that. And I wish people were more honest about that when they first started. It's okay to be like that until you get to a a point where ongoing cash flow isn't a major concern. Then you can start thinking about more like the legacy stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And just to add in a quick word here, I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. The whole follow your passion thing specifically, I have to say that when I started the podcast, it was kind of like this light bulb moment. And I realized for the first time, oh, this is what I want to do. People would tell me to follow your passion like since I was born. And I had no idea what that was. Like I said, I kind of got funneled through college and I didn't actually want to be an accountant. I just knew that I could make some money there and get a salary and get a job. So the podcast, the Do You Even Blog podcast was that passion thing for me. It was like, oh, I want to keep doing this. This does not feel like work. I could spend a lot of time on this and I love it. I want to keep doing it. But dot, dot, dot. I still had to make money. And for me, this is going to be very similar to people in your audience who are working now, but maybe want to transition out in the future. I had to do the freelancing work. I mean, to your point, I'm regurgitating what Sarah said a second ago, but I I completely agree. I'd actually found my passion thing. I found it. I wanted to work on it. I was working on it. I didn't want to do freelance work. I didn't want to pick up those clients, but I had to. Like I, I literally had no choice. And I don't think that ever goes away to some degree. I feel like we're always going to have things that we don't want to do. I'm getting a little lofty now, but <laughs> <laughs> at least I found that in my own business. I feel like all of us, you you know, make $250,000 from a blog next year. Like I would still have stuff that I don't want to do. I don't know. I think that there's this, and I swear we'll tie into your story of unemployment, is that there's going to be things you don't want to do. Like I, I love what I do. I really do. But there are aspects of it that I just hate. I'm not going to get into it, but there are aspects of it I hate. Like a lot of admin stuff, I have a VA do because I just, I'm like, I have the money to pay her. I hate it. Like, ugh, <laughs> like push it away. But there are also times when you need to really think about, okay, if if I'm working towards this this lifestyle that I want, whether it's finding a better nine to five, whether it's going into entrepreneurship or retiring early, whatever that may look like, there are going to be things that unexpected that will happen. Like, unfortunately, you lost that job or the the startup didn't pay you and you were in now survival mode for the last three years. Things like that happen. And so I think for everybody out there, and I'm wondering if you agree with me, is that it's okay to think of the worst case scenario because that actually does help you be more realistic or give you a more holistic view of your situation. What do you think about that? I completely 1000% agree. And I believe I'm a big... Tim Ferriss fanboy. I loved the Tim Ferriss podcast or whatnot. And he talks about this as, I don't know, as Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or some of the old philosophers used to do exercises where they would deliberately, those people were pretty wealthy, by the way, that I just named in ancient times. They would deliberately dress down in like rags and starve themselves for like three days and live on the streets 
and actually put themselves through like a worst case scenario just to realize like, ah, that's not actually that bad. And coming back to my own story, I got to tell you, I was not super smart. I didn't think, oh, you know what? I need to do more of an emergency fund because just in case this happens, I actually got a little lucky. I got a little lucky that we had some emergency fund and we ended up doing really well selling our house. So we had like that extra buffer that ended up being an emergency fund. I actually got a little bit of lucky there. But to your point, I do think it's a very helpful exercise to just walk through the worst case scenario. Chances are it'll never happen. That's fine. But just knowing that you could survive it or knowing how you would survive it if you got laid off or you and your spouse got laid off or something else, a tragedy happened, just having that little security is like a little, a nice, it's a nice feeling. If I could do it over again, I would do even more of that. So yeah, I completely agree with you. So looking forward now to the future of your blog and and your businesses, where do you envision yourself in the next three years? So I could tell you definitely from a business standpoint, I'm lucky enough to have a few people around me that have helped me think through a business model and a business strategy. But in terms of how that relates to life, I think this whole journey, the past like three years-ish, has really taught me, as well as my wife, the importance of family, for one thing. Like I said, we moved back to Rome and we could not have done this without family. So I know, even looking to the future, we want to be around family. My wife, Sam, is from Michigan. We may move up there at some point, totally fine. Or we might stay down here in Rome, Georgia. But that's definitely going to be part of our life. I'm definitely just over the moon content with what I'm doing for work right now. I've never been able to say that before. And I'm sorry if that makes anybody jealous. That was totally me three years ago. (laughs) Anybody content with their job? I had no idea what that felt like. But I feel that now. And so a year from now, three years from now, I know what I want to be doing. I feel very comfortable with that. I feel very confident that I'll still be podcasting. I'll still be creating. I'll still be hopefully growing a little bit more of a team around my current business or whatnot. But other than that, like I I don't know. I feel actually pretty confident for the first time in years that that clear picture of where we want to be going is probably actually going to happen. That's a good feeling. That, that is a great feeling. So one last question, Pete, is how are you living beyond the dollar? Oh, <laughs> uh, another great question. And I love this, by the way. I don't really know how I would answer beyond the dollar, but I will say this. Back when I had that little funky period where I got my last paycheck, I was laid off, really, and trying to figure out like what to go forward. I will say that a dollar, the concept of money, completely changed for me. It completely changed. Before that point, money was it was pretty healthy in my head. It was I had a decent mindset. Money is a tool. A lot of us in personal finance will say that from time to time. Money is not going to bring you direct happiness most of the time, but it can leverage things and can add a sense of security and comfort. And I, I think everybody would understand that. I felt that way. When this event, <laughs> called it an event, when I got laid off, my concept of what a dollar was just completely shifted. It was like, oh, okay, money is absolutely necessary for some parts of life. And literally from that day forward up until right now, I will say that I've been far more conscious of where I spend my money every single dollar, every single day, meals, eating out, gas, travel, business expenses, everything. I think in a healthy way, not an unhealthy way yet. Hopefully it ever gets to that point. 
but I've just had this mindset shift, if you will. And I think about it a lot more. I'm much more aware of everything that's happening in my financial life on any given day. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's what beyond the dollar means to me is just having a better picture of what's actually happening at all times. Again, that's just me. Not everybody needs to do it that extreme, but it was those events from a couple of years ago that have led me to treat money in a different way. It, that it totally does. So Pete, where can people find you around the internet? Do you even blog.com is where I would point people. And that's it. You can also find me on socials. Twitter is probably the, the go to at do you even blog. And that's it. Do you even blog.com. You can find everything there. Well, Pete, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Thank you, Sarah. It was a lot of fun. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Pete. I appreciate him coming on just a very honest account of what had happened to him in the last three years. So as promised, we're going to drill down into his story and let's talk about some of the practical things that we can all learn and hopefully apply in our lives. So the first one that I really love was that number one, Pete took a risk, but he was also in a way very calculated about that risk. So he had a plan. It didn't unfortunately work out the way he expected. And if you recall, he was very thankful that he had a bit of a buffer in his savings and he had an emergency fund, right? He had some money from the sale of his house to see him and his wife through essentially for those three years. And so if you're making a major life transition or something's going on where you need to prepare for the worst case scenario, make sure that you're financially prepared or as financially prepared as you can be, or even just think of what can go wrong and try to plan for it as best as you can, because you never know what's what's going to happen, right? The second part of that is I really enjoyed how he talked about how resourceful he was when he was in that situation. So he, if you recall, he asked a bunch of blogger friends who were doing what he essentially wanted to do and interviewed them, kind of picked their brain a little bit. And that somehow turned into a podcast and it really helped propelled him, set him up for, for a better chance of, I guess, survival <laughs> for his blog. So whatever your situation is, whatever you're trying to do, think of some way that you can be resourceful. Is there, do you have a network that you can rely on? Can you go borrow some books in the library? What can you do to learn and to apply in order to achieve the thing that you're trying to do right now? On that same vein, ask for help. It's totally okay to ask for help. Now, Pete was very thankful and lucky in some sense that he was able to essentially stay for free at his grandmother's house. Now, I know not a lot of people have that opportunity. I totally get it. But you might be surprised the kind of help that you're going to be able to receive. I mean, I, that's certainly something that I have found in my life where once I started asking for help, people were very, very interested in, in helping me. And so that was just a really warm feeling in my heart. Then Last thing I want to talk about is it's okay to do something for the money. So Pete and I kind of ranted a little bit, I'll admit, about this, but it's totally okay. There are situations where you're just going to be in survival mode and you just need money to put food on the table, to get a roof over your head, pay the electricity bill, all of that. So fine, you're starting a business or you're trying to transition to a new job, but if you're merely trying to make money to pay the bills, 
There is no shame in that. And if you're in that position right now, like let's say you have a lot of debt that you're trying to pay off or you're trying to leave a relationship so you're trying to save a buffer account. I mean, those things are all valid. Don't feel like you have to find your passion or do something that's worthy of people sharing, whatever that is, because you need the money. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Money is a tool, right? Like I've heard you hear me talk about a lot. And in this case, if it's a tool to, to basically help you survive, then so be it. So my challenge for you today is to take a look at your savings account and see, is there a few dollars that you can set aside in another savings account to start a buffer savings account or an emergency fund so that you can be financially prepared for whatever situation you may face? So let me know how that goes. Again, you can always find me on Instagram at beyondthedollar or email me. I read every single one. Hello at beyondthedollar.co. All right, see you soon. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. Whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music.